Hi, I'm Ryan Miner. I'm the host of a Minor Detail podcast. For the next 90 days, I'm taking the show on the road to Annapolis for the 2020 legislative session. The show will be broadcasting live each week for the next 80-some days from the iconic Harry Brown's restaurant on State Circle. Please subscribe to a Minor Detail podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Overcast, CastBox, or virtually any podcast application. And be sure to check out a Minor Detail podcast at a aminordetailpodcast.com. If you like what you hear in this episode, or maybe you hate it, I want to know. Email me your feedback at ryan at aminordetail.com. It's already week three of the Annapolis legislative session. State Senator Will Smith of Montgomery County, who is the newly appointed chairman of the Judicial Proceedings Committee, joined the podcast on Tuesday, January the 21st. Our discussion focused on end-of-life legislation. Here's what we discussed. All right, here it is. Senator Will Smith from District 20, state senator in good old Maryland. We're in the middle of Annapolis session. Harry Brown's it is. It's our flagship location. I'm your host, Ryan Miner. And I, I got to tell you, I've been waiting to get Senator Will Smith on the podcast for the longest time. But he had a, a temporary sojourn out of the country. Uh, of course, we're talking about his military service. You were deployed last year, Senator Smith. First, let me say thank you for having me. This is a real pleasure and an honor to be here with you. Um, but yes, uh, last session got uh, deployed to Afghanistan. I'm a member of the Navy Reserves. Uh, spent some time in Qatar and then in Kabul and uh, Nangarhar and Jalalabad and then you know back home. So it's, it, it was a, a, a real education. Well, let me just say this. Uh, on behalf, you've heard this many times, but thank you for your service. Thank you for all that you do, and we were all rooting for you, man. I was thinking about you all the time when you were over there, but I'm glad you got home safely and soundly. You got a wonderful wife, and you have two children? One. 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 Yeah, ho- hopefully we'll, we'll get Not, another one on the way. Oh, on. We'll, get, we'll get one uh, on the way soon. So that's – I'm just – I'm glad you're back, man, and it's uh, – it, it, I'm sure it was a. I'm sure you missed home a lot, but it's probably a good opportunity to serve your country. And uh, tell me about your your naval career. How did you get started there? Were you, were you naval academy? No, it was not. So first, I'll just say that I mean the cool thing about going over when you're an elected official, maybe you get a little bit of extra attention when you go. But the cool thing is that you know close to three million Americans have served in Afghanistan since 9/11, since 2001. Um, we've got 14,000. Um, troops over there right now and um, when the, the month that I left the first soldier that wasn't alive on 2000 uh, in 2001 uh, on September 11th arrived in Kabul so it just shows you how long we've been enmeshed in, in Afghanistan but the cool thing is you get to expose you get to shed a little bit more light on a lot of the other folks that have served for you know 19 years now so that's that's a cool thing to shine a light on, on the situation and then also on the other service members who were uh, honestly going out every night uh, in Afghanistan risking their lives I was never in any immediate danger never you know uh, it was never in a gunfight or any of that stuff it, so you know we were in a war zone um, we had uh, some suicide bombers close by and some car bombs some v-bids but you know never was out on missions shooting and when i was an intelligence officer collecting information and yeah. disseminating that but so it was pretty cool but to your question uh i was a sophomore in college during 9 11 and wow. um i wanted to enlist right away my mom said no way you know, you're <laughs> the first of my children to be able to go to college and so you're going to graduate finish your education and 
So I, I did a um, direct commission officer program when I was in law school. Okay. I supported myself, so I was like, hey, let me, let me go ahead and take advantage of that. Will you represent District 20 yep. in Montgomery County? It's Silver Spring, Tacoma Park. Where else? What is that? Is it uh, Silver Spring's a huge territory. It is. So we've got Silver Spring, Tacoma Park, and that, I mean, that pretty much encompasses, because you're right, because Silver Spring extends all the way up to East Randolph Road, yeah. north, but that encompasses White Oak, um, sectors of New Hampshire Avenue, um, all the way up over to 16th Street, which is technically still Silver Spring. So um, we've got, you know, it's a, it's a great, great district, mostly concentrated in downtown Silver Spring and Tacoma Park, but mm-hmm. not to be forgotten is White Oak, Hillendale. Um, Burnt Mills, those communities. So you got some heavy hitters in your district. Oh yeah, some real po- like political players. Uh, I know that County Executive Mark Elric is uh, lives there. I think Tom Hucker is he does. in. Yep, he's in the district. In district. Jamie Raskin. Jamie Raskin. Who, man, you got such a story. And I'm for for most people who are listening are familiar with Maryland politics. They know the story of how you got to be in the state senate of course but of course when jamie raskin went off to congress got elected in 2016 you were selected to fill his seat as a state senator so that was an honor for you it was a real incredible it was a credible honor um the central committee you know selects as is the process right now for filling legislative vacancies you've got the central committee of that you know the jurisdiction that you know basically selects they vote on uh, who will be the next um, person to fill that slot. So I was lucky enough to get uh, enough votes. I went up against uh, David Moon, Delegate David Moon, who is actually like a great friend and someone who I've come to admire, love, and respect. Well, speaking uh, of yeah. Delegate David Moon, I, I wore, because I knew you, I'd be interviewing today, Yeah, I wore my special Old Bay socks. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so David Moon, of course, loves Old Bay. Loves Old Bay. And, and I, brooms. And brooms. Yeah. And I, and I, I hear he, he's got his car back. He does. He does. He's so, got his car back. He's, he, of course, Delegate David Moon, if you're listening, he got his car stolen, and he chased the guy down the street with a broom. <laughs> I mean, it was, it, it's the most David Moon thing that can it happen. It was pretty awesome. So... I'm, I'm glad that he got his car back. But, yeah, you have some real political players in your district. The comptroller's in your district. Comptroller's right down the street. Is he in Tacoma? He's in Tacoma Park. He's in Tacoma Park. So, but to circle back, though, you know, David Moon has a, a bill that will will change the way we select and, and the way we replace uh, legislative vacancies to have a special election, uh-huh. which is not the process that I went through and which is not the process that, you know, uh, so many of us have gone through to get to the center and in, in the House. So I fully support that bill, and I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to it coming out of um, – uh, out, of, out of committee in the House and the Senate side, I think it's a priority of the Senate president, and I think it's it's going to, you know, we'll make some some real statements there. I think we've got some real shots. Senator shot Smith, do you think that voters of Maryland would rather have their elections decided in, in, a, in a special, if there is a vacancy instead of a central committee? But the central committees, too, have a process. They have a, a function in the state of Maryland, just as a special election would. But do you think that it will become more democratic, per se, instead of a, a group of elected, I should say, elected party officials choosing the next state senator, but rather the voters, that is, uh, uh, Democrats who can go, or Republicans, can go to uh, the polls and say, I'm gonna, I want to pick this guy to be my next You think it's more democratic that way? It is more democratic, but it, it just to, you honed in on it. It is a democratic process because we are a, a representative democracy. And right. So we elect folks to make decisions for us all the time. 
this is a decision that comes out of the purview of the Central Committee. All of those folks have been elected. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's a representative democracy. They get a chance to go ahead. And, and for Montgomery County, I know the process is very thorough. They vet. They have so, several public hearings so that the public can um, come and hear what the candidates have to say and solicit their input as well. So, I mean, it's a very, uh, you know, as far as that process goes, it's pretty, pretty good. Um, but it's not as democratic as a special election, which I think is where we all want to go, and I think that's where we need to go. I want to mention that your district, too, uh, it's highly educated, and they are engaged. They are the activists of the Democratic Party, I would like to say. They know, people in your district know what the heck is going on. Oh, yeah. I've never seen anything like it. A, the Silver Spring Community Center, uh, I think that's what it is. Is it Civic Center? Civic yeah. Center. Nice place, really nice place, great place for forums. That can fill up at a moment's notice with two, three hundred people for any particular issue or event or a rally. I've seen it completely full. I've attended many events there, and it's just remarkable. And you have a tremendous amount of resources in Silver Spring. It's a neat community. It really is. Well, I love I love Silver Spring at Tacoma Park because it's the it's one of the most well educated yeah. um, districts in in the state. It's, you know, potentially the most progressive district in the state, um, but it's also one of the most diverse districts in the state. I mean, it's, it's, I've loved international cities like Washington, D.C., like London, like New York, because you can walk down the street and at any given time you can hear three or four or maybe five different languages within a city block. The same is true within Silver Spring. I mean, you have so many different um, immigrants from so many different countries that it's, it's, it's such an enriching experience to, to, to live, to breathe, to eat, and to play down in Silver Spring. So I, and, and Tacoma Bar. But yeah, it's a great district to be from. It's a great district to represent. And you're right, the folks are really engaged and plugged in. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's no pulling the wool over those guys. <laughs> They're locked in and engaged and things down here, which keeps us honest, but it also it keeps us well educated. And we get a lot of our great ideas from our constituents, a number of whom are just experts in their given area. Policy, many of them have worked for the federal government. Many are former elected officials engaged. uh, So I I always find it fascinating uh, that the Silver Spring District, District 20, as you said, it's highly educated. So I imagine that when they want to sound off on an issue, they will certainly sound off to you. So... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Senator Smith, we're down in Annapolis and session is in full swing. It's the budget has just come out. But first, I want to mention that I instead of calling you Senator Smith, I should call you Mr. Chairman. So congratulations (laughs) on your you. uh, you were elevated to the position of chairman of Judicial Proceedings Committee. Tell me about that. What's what's that like so far? What is your committee looking at in, in terms of bills this session? What are you keeping close eye on? First, I'll say that one of the first things it did was to change kind of like some of our processes and procedures. And the reason why I think that's it's kind of like internal politics and kind of in the weeds. But I think that's important because it, it'll actually end up uh, producing some better policy. Um, so we've, you know, we have regular voting sessions. You've got give, you know, make sure that folks turn in. We have a voting list that's distributed by Tuesday, amendments in by Thursday. Council has a lot of time to vet them out. I meet with the Republicans on Wednesday. So um, we vote on Fridays. So it's, it's, a, it's a, I think the processes that I've set up um, will help us make better decisions in a more deliberative uh, manner. I've also ensured that we reach out to everyone. I mean, um, I want to make sure that everyone has a seat at the table when we're making decisions. So, if, you know, members of the public, organizations that 
may not have felt included before, we've brought them into the process and brought them to the table to make sure that we're making the most uh, educated decisions with everyone's voice represented. Um, and so my first thing, you know, the first thing I did was set up a briefing for um, gender and racial inequities in the criminal justice system. Um, in November, the Justice Policy Institute came out and they published a report that should raise everyone's eyebrows here in Maryland that 70% of our prison population is African-American. Mm-hmm. We're the worst in the nation. The second closest is Mississippi. No disrespect to them, but, you know, Maryland can, should, and must do better than, than that. Right. And so uh, I think shedding a light on on some of those issues um, and some and bringing some folks in that maybe have been neglected or haven't been brought into the fold, I think, was is a number one priority of mine. I think it'll be borne out in the, the policy that we produce. So those, those are first things. Um, but yeah, we've got a lot of big marquee issues. In Baltimore City last year, 348 murders. That's right. the fifth year in a row that we've had over 300 murders in Baltimore City. It's a public health crisis. Yeah, exactly right. It absolutely is. In Baltimore County, for instance, the, the homicide rate, I think, is up. It was up 52%. Uh, I even heard it maybe even higher than that. So we've got a lot of work to do, and the governor has put forth a number of proposals to address that. Um, a number of members of the General Assembly have put proposals forth to, to address that. Uh, we've got gun legislation. We've got end-of-life stuff. We've got housing. So it's going to be a really exciting session. Yeah. So tell me about your committee. For those watching and listening on the podcast, what is the specific task? What are the legislative responsibilities for judicial proceedings as opposed to the judicial, the Judiciary Committee in the Senate? So our jurisdiction in judicial proceedings is a little broader than in uh, judiciary over in the House. So we've got, um, so for instance, we've got traffic, we've got housing. Oh, traffic law. Traffic law, yeah. Oh, that's fun. It's fun. So so is housing. So we do with HOAs and and, and the like. So uh, we've also got, obviously, judicial proceedings, so how the courts operate. uh, so we've got a little bit of broader uh, purview than, than than Judd does over in the House. Yeah, it's I was uh, there was a judiciary hearing today on a bill for HB thirty three, which I believe is HB one fifty three on elder abuse. Okay, yeah, um, that's right. Adding, Chris West bill. Chris West bill. That's right. Yeah, and is he on your committee? He is. Okay, that's right. Yeah, one, how many Republicans do you have? So we have four Republicans on our committee, and there's seven, eight. Correct. Okay. So we have seven, seven Democrats, eleven total members. Hmm. And you do you work with um, Senator Huff, right? On this, that's, that's right. And oh, yeah. he is. It's interesting how there's a lot of crossover. I don't see it under the lens of partisanship, but rather. And with criminal justice reform, Senator Huff has been an ally and a champion for that in the Senate. In, in many respects, that's right. Um, I think that he's got a you know somewhat of a libertarian slant in the sense that he wants to ensure that you know government's out of some of these decisions and that folks have an opportunity to redeem themselves and get on the right track. Look, he comes from a very different district than I do. I think ideologically we're we're very different on on most issues. Mm -hmm. Um, But the good thing about our committee is that the issues are too important for partisanship. And that's one thing that I really took from my predecessor, Senator Zirkin, who really, really put that ethos into our, our committee that partisanship really has to be pushed aside. Now, obviously, you know, Senator Zirkin and I are very different people and different philosophies mm-hmm. and different approaches and things, but I thought that was one thing he really, really got right. And and my relationship with Senator Huff and Senator Cassley and Senator West and Senator Weedy is emblematic of that because they are, they are folks that come to work every day. 
Uh, they want to make the state a better place, um, and they work really hard. They're very smart. They have great ideas. Um, we don't agree on everything, but we work really hard to find consensus when we can and, and be um, and disagree in, a, in, a, in an amicable way when we can. So. I think that's what differentiates Annapolis from Washington, that even though you have political disagreements, different parties, there's a sense of congeniality. There is a sense of working together for a public policy yeah. purpose and not so much of being def- – the committees are not so much defined by who's a Democrat and a Republican. I think that that's a, a positive way to conduct government. Oh, I think I mean I think it's essential, especially now, is the acrimony that's going down down in Route 50, <laughs> just down the road. Yeah, um, you know it's funny. I had a chance to shadow a couple friends in the in the uh, the federal delegation, and then a couple friends that are represent other states. And I spent a day down on Capitol Hill. And you know, in the morning it was all about Trump and impeachment, Trump and impeachment. And in the afternoon it was about Trump and impeachment, Trump and impeachment. And then in the evening it was Trump and impeachment, Trump and impeachment. And then at the end of the day, I'm sa- sitting there uh, thinking. Well, what did we get done for the American people today? Like, what'd you, what did you do today? It's a, fair, um, it's a fair question. Exactly right. So I think the great thing, the exciting thing about state-level politics is that um, a constituent can come to you with an idea in the interim. You can introduce it, have a hearing, and get that bill passed and, and find real solutions to real problems. Be responsive to people that you represent, um, but also get other big things done. We have an opportunity. We have all the resources, all the people here, all the brain power, and all the time to get some big stuff done um, together. Which is really exciting, um, yeah. and and that's not how government operates on the federal level, unfortunately. But it's it's a fantastic time to be a member of the assembly. I think it's a great time to be a part of state government um, for everyone that's operating here, uh, moving our state forward. It's, it's just it's a lot of fun. Senator, you mentioned that your committee is tackling end of life legislation. Mm-hmm. Last year, a bill that died in the Senate, I believe by one vote, addressed a end-of-life, I think, was it called Death with Dignity? Death and Dignity End-of-Life Option Act. Is there a certain phrase that we should call it? How, how should we refer to it, maybe in the media, and how should people approach this issue? It, what's the right phrase? I would say End-of-Life Option Act, but because it is an option that you can exercise if you're of sound mind and you have a terminal illness and you've been diagnosed uh, to have less than six months to live. So it's an option. Um, but death and dignity is something that I think resonates with folks as that's the way it was referred to. For it's a good marketing approach. Exactly right. So, I mean, I'm not sure that the, that, that labeling is as important as the content of what's actually in the bill and, and, and the sentiment behind it. Um, so last year, as you mentioned, it died on the Senate floor. Uh, you need 50 plus one, you know, 50% plus one. That's right. It was a tie vote. Uh, one senator, 24, right? That's right. One senator didn't vote. Um, and so, you know, if it was going to fail, I think that was the best way to fail. If, if that's, you know, yeah. because it, it didn't for it, you know, it kept the door open for more future dialogue and for the bill to be reintroduced today uh, or this year. Um, and so the, the assembly, obviously the house passed it, but the Senate hasn't really spoken clearly on it because it was tied. Um, and so I think there's some maneuvering to be done and some education and maybe some convincing of one or two members. Now, um, apart from the content and the merits of the bill, it comes down to a numbers game. Last year, we were one vote short. This year, with uh, Senator Sidnor coming over uh, from Baltimore County, Baltimore City, from the House, uh, we were actually now two votes short if you count that he voted uh, against the bill in the House last mm-hmm. year. And so we've so got to take some effort to, to lobby these members. That's right. Yeah. And so are you confident that once you take it to the floor, 
assuming that it's going to come out of committee, which mm-hmm. have you have you heard from your Republican colleagues who are traditionally on the opposing side of the issue? Well, I think those interests, I mean, people were, the Republicans I've spoken to are, are still interested in hearing it. Um, you know, you've heard this bill for several years, but always willing to listen and understand and maybe change. But I, I, I don't see that happening, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, we have one Republican, Senator West, who's on the committee, on our Judicial Proceedings Committee, who is a co-sponsor of the bill and a supporter of the bill. Because um, that was a, 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 a kind of an interesting point last year, too, that's when, right. when he sponsored it. And people were, some of his Republican constituents were unhappy about that. That's right. Um, and I thought it was a real profile and courage on his part because he has... You know, he's listened to constituents on both sides of the issue, and then he has his, his own personal experience that, that I'll let him tell, you know, if you ever have him on, that, that he has with the issue um, that have informed his opinion. And he did his best job. He did yeoman's work helping us develop and refine that bill last year. Um, so, look, it's, it's a numbers game. We'll see what happens. Um, you know, What's different about the legislation this year as compared to last year? And what what kind of strategies are you using to... Uh, to push the bill, and you're going to have to go through the House as well. Right. So what are you changing up in this legislation? Well, I'll say for, for the strategy and then working backwards to the actual, the more important, which is the policy. But the, the strategy is that, look, it's the end-of-life obstetrics is tremendously popular. Um, it, a new Gonzalez poll will be made public very shortly here that shows uh, overwhelming support uh, for the bill statewide. Um, even on the Eastern Shore, it's polling in the 60s. Um, in the D.C. suburbs, it's close to 70%. So, I mean, it, this is an overwhelmingly popular yeah. uh, piece of legislation. So, in every, on every corner of the state. So, that's good. Um, and time is on our side in that respect, that it, it only gets more and more popular as time goes on. Um, in terms of the policy, last year, the House passed out a much stronger, quote-unquote, um, version of the bill than we did in the Senate. In the Senate, um, certain provisions like the doctor immunity, which would have basically for, it would have foreclosed the uh, the opportunity to pursue that option, because no doctor would participate in this without um, some sort of immunity. Um, small things, well, big things like that, small and large things like that, I think uh, will change if it comes out of the committee this year. And so, um, the calculus, though, is that I don't know if that changes the votes on the floor. And so that's what we have to figure out and understand a little bit more before, you know, we'll have a hearing um, uh, in a couple weeks. I, you know, I know that uh, Chair Pendergrass is going to drop the bill in, on Friday, and I think that it's going to be dropped in the Senate side. Um, and I don't know who the sponsor will be, but we'll know in a couple days. Um, and it'll be dropped this week um, or early next week here on the Senate side. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. We'll have the hearing. The decision to bring it out of committee will 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 depend upon what we think the floor votes look like, frankly. I and mean, there's no need of pushing it out of committee unless we know we've got a shot on the floor. Yeah, so can you unwind the legislation? Did you model this after another state? And what are the provisions inside of legislation? It has to be signed off, I know, by a doctor. Sure. Correct? So if you decide... If you have a, ter- let's just say if someone is diagnosed with terminal cancer, it's stage four, and there is, you're moving into palliative care. Mm-hmm. There's, and then <clears throat> at that point, you are suffering from ag- the agony of extreme pain, and they des- you decide, I-, I just think that it would be best for me to, uh, to move forward with uh, putting a stop to this pain and ending my life the way that I want to, and it's my decision. But 
they have to go through a series of of of, of I, I think they have to go through a series of screenings or um, there's a step, there's a major process for this. I'm sure, I mean, in terms of the the overall arching goal is, is pretty similar to the, the states that have passed before, but this is a tailor-made piece of legislation for Maryland. Um, so in that sense, not really based off of any other state, but you have to have, you know, you have to be diagnosed with the, the terminal illness, six months are left to live. You have to have uh, sign off on, have that diagnosis with two doctors. You mm-hmm. have to consult a mental health expert have that sign off. Um, there are numbers. Number you have to, um, uh, you know, there there are a number of other provisions that that go into what legal documents you can sign and what you can't sign. Um, and so, it, it, there are, there were so many checks built in last year, um, especially on the Senate side, mm-hmm. um, it, that we felt that it was it was definitely something that would prevent any sort of uh, abuse for someone that was in a vulnerable position. Right. Um, you couldn't be with had provision. You couldn't be within the same practice in terms of the person that would said, "Hey, like you have a you have a, a terminal illness," and then someone that would actually oh, I see. Go so ahead same and, doctors and effectuate. Yeah. It couldn't be within the same practice. Um, so I mean, we, we we really did labor to make sure that that folks were prevented from being exploited for financial reasons, obviously. Right. Um, and so you know, we thought it was a pretty good piece of legislation. That so you know, arguably this would be someone's biggest decision that they'll ever make. Yes. I mean to 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 end your life but in a dignified way what would be the process the actual medicinal process to do that and sure and i also forgot that you know you have to be able to self-administer and 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 that was still in the bill do you as have well. to be cognizant it can if someone is in a state of mind where they might not be completely lucid does that preclude them that would preclude them and, okay. that, and that that would come out in the initial screening with the two two medical doctors and one medical uh, one mental health professional um, and so, and again, the self-administration w- w- is key. Um, and so your, to your question was, you It know, was, uh, how do you, what would be the medicinal aspect? Is it, it a, a, a chemical compound or is it an injection or they self-administer the, medi- the, 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 I guess the concoction into, into their mouth? Is it taken orally? It's taken orally. I mean, so the, when I, Dr. Strauss, who's an advocate and an expert, um, you know, when I had my conversation with him, he says the most common is a, is a concoction that you would take orally. Um, and so you'd basically ingest it. Mm-hmm. You'd take um, one, uh, one liquid that would settle your stomach mm-hmm. and then the next liquid that would be the actual um, the drugs that would, would end your life. Right. And so um, it's a two-part process. But, but it puts someone in a steep sleep, I understand. Correct. That. Yeah. Right. You're basically, I mean, there's no pain associated with it. You, just, you basically just go to sleep and, and pass away peacefully. Um, it's, a kind of, it's a morbid thing to think it's about. It's emotional, It's though. an emotional thing to think about. I just think... Um, you know, having worked with senior citizens, and I've, I've seen some really awful situations, especially with people who are diagnosed with stage four cancer, and they are, they're just struggling in every facet. Yeah. And people have said, I just wish this pain could be over for my family, and it's emotionally taxing. But there's a lot to this, and, and I appreciate the way that you're handling it with care. And it seems like the committee, from my perspective, had, has handled it respectfully, that even though there's some real disagreements on this, and of course there will be uh, people who believe that, that you should not have that option, mm-hmm. they've also handled it with respect and, and dignity. No, I mean, that's one thing I, I was really impressed with about the debate um, on the Senate floor is that everyone was respectful. And then when, the, when we ultimately didn't prevail, 
uh, we kind of looked around at each other and you know all kind of breathe a sigh of something I don't know if it was relief but just hey you know that was an emotional exercise um, we've all worked really hard on this issue and we've heard a lot of emotional testimony and and we just kind of all thanked each other for the hard work we both put in obviously I was disappointed that we didn't get it through but right. um, I respected the opinions of my colleagues and I respected the way that they comported themselves and handled themselves throughout the process so it was really any idea where the governor comes down on the issue you know, I really don't know. Um, you know, initially I would have thought, you know, you know, he would be against it just given the party affiliation. But then, uh, you know, he's had his own personal experiences, um, obviously dealing with cancer. And right. um, so this is an emotional issue. If the bill made sense to him, you know, I'm not sure he would sign off on it, but maybe he'd let it go into law. I don't know. Um, and you know, I haven't actually t- had a chance to talk to him about it. But, you know, if I get a chance, I'll definitely... Yeah. If I get a chance, I'll ask. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I hope you do. Yeah, you have him on here. He he agreed. So I just want, for the record, the governor has agreed. There you go. I have sent a request to his press office, and I think we just need to work out the minor details of getting him on the show. <laughs> so um, the governor, of course, is welcome. Any official is welcome here. You, you got listen. You you've got to get. Um, Eric Lukey to come on. We, we, we've yeah, had, been on yet? No. Oh, we got No, yeah. no. You got to get Delegate Lukey to come on because he and I would mix it up a little bit and it would be fun because yeah, he's a street fighter. Uh, yeah. He's a street fighter and I, I, I like his approach and he's, uh, he's tough and he will, he will punch back. Yeah. And I like that about him. He's a good man. He's a good man. He's he is. A good yeah. He's a good father he's a good and he lives in Montgomery County, That's District right. 14. Yeah. I was just thinking about it. The Montgomery County delegation, you just, we've got some four vice chairmen from Montgomery County. That's right. I had Senator Feldman on last week with Senator Hershey. Oh, really? That's so, great. Yeah, we, that's talk, right. did. we talked a lot about uh, different he, – he talked about the Clean Energy Jobs Act. Yep. We talked uh, about vaping, and that's a local issue too. That's right. It looks like that Montgomery County is using the zoning ordinance to, to crack to, down, yeah, to exactly. crack down yeah. on vaping. That's right. So what? any, any other particular issues in the, uh, the few minutes we have left together that you are paying close attention to that you're looking to usher through the committee? So I think it was, it was, we're, we're starting to think strategically about uh, criminal justice and, you know, um, maybe the, Baltimore City. In the situation in Baltimore City, I think that, um, you, you know, one of the most instructive things I think for all of us to pay attention to is the long-term goals mm-hmm. of to making some kind of structural change that will have, they may not necessarily bear immediate political fruit like passing min- mandatory minimums or jacking up some sentences. Those, those things you can take back home and say, I, I was yeah. tough on crime. But the long-term strategic things that will actually have a real impact on generations, um, investments in housing, Kerwin, investments in education, yeah. investments in transportation, um, investments in real community programs that help folks don't bear a medical, uh, immediate political fruit because you're not going to see those results for 5, 10, 15 years. But those are the things that make real change in people's lives. And so um, my job this year is to keep the committee's eye on, on the long-term ball and ensure that we make those long-term strategic investments. So to that end, things like housing, like the HOME Act, um, non-discrimination for folks that have uh, uh, the Section 8 vouchers or a legal source of income, that's a big deal for me. It's a bill that I'll be sponsoring that'll be coming through. Um, we've even got things like, you know, long guns, right? That, that, that's a controversial issue in Baltimore City. You know, the overwhelming majority, in fact, all of them, all of the, the homicides by a firearm or by a, a, a handgun. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that you don't do the right thing and close the loophole for, for uh, long guns. But I don't want to confuse the issue. Do I you mean, sense that, like last year, there was a influx of activists who came to the mm-hmm. Capitol 
any Second Amendment issue typically draws out yeah. a, a, a major group of people on both sides, and it's such a it's such a polarizing issue. Do you expect that this year again? Of course, yeah, and it was that way in the House. Um, and but and, and, and look, I'm going to do my level best to make sure that we pass it and we close the loophole. But I just don't want to, you know, I want to be intellectually honest about what we're doing. And if if folks you think that we're going to pass a long gun loophole and that's going to affect crime in Baltimore mm-hmm. City, they're wrong. I mean, but, but I don't want those two things to be conflated. But you can walk and chew gum at the same time. You can do both things that are both necessary um, for the advancement, of, you know, of our state. So, um, you know, I'm looking forward to working with that and working with folks on that. I just want to make sure that we keep our eye on the ball with Baltimore City as well, um, consulting with our our Senate delegation folks from Baltimore City using their input and their guidance and their expertise and, frankly, their experiences to, to help guide our policy decisions. And just quickly, Senator, have you read the governor's budget and what are your thoughts on it? So I did. Um, so we, we, we get our fiscal briefing tomorrow. Um, but it, we got Oh, a, fun. We, yeah, that's <laughs> like watching paint dry, right? Um, no, but it's we got, we got a brief overview of it today. Um, there's some interesting investments with respect to the criminal justice aspect yeah. to it. So I know he's channeled some money or shifted some resources over to the attorney general to have some more prosecutors. Uh, very controversial, but I think, you know, potentially the right step. We'll see. Um, but maybe to the detriment of some other programs, we're going to look into that. Uh, $46 billion plus budget. Um, uh, you know, we've got structural deficits into the next four years. We that do. They're going to be very challenging to deal with. Um, and so, got to figure out how to raise the money, and that's without Kerwin. Well, <laughs> so Kerwin's a whole other pot. Correct. So we've got to figure out how to how to raise some revenue so without that, taxes on property or income. Senator, yeah. I think that's going to be the defining issue of this session: Absolutely. is coming up with the funds, making sure that we have the right amount of revenue to distribute, and of course, paying for the Kerwin recommendations, which seems like most legislators are on board. Some of the counties are still. I don't want to say concern but they're squirrely about it and of course had a conversation with angela also brooks county executive pg mm-hmm. county she's concerned so i am i'm watching these issues closely but uh i appreciate you coming on and talking this is your first time so i really appreciate you you're welcome anytime you have a standing invitation to to appear anytime oh, and, i appreciate uh, it man this is yeah. great yeah well thank you senator and uh best of thanks, luck during session appreciate it. Hey, thanks Alrighty. a lot thanks a lot Are you interested in sponsoring an episode of A Minor Detail Podcast? Email me at ryan at aminordetail.com. Be sure to subscribe to A Minor Detail Podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Overcast, CastBox, or wherever you download your podcast. Visit aminordetailpodcast.com for the latest episodes. And for Maryland news and politics, visit aminordetail.com and be sure to subscribe to my daily newsletter. I'm Ryan Miner. See you next time.